everybody, welcome to the export. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tay, aka somebody. We've talked about it off air for a while, but the Madden ratings are coming out this week, and there have been some real blasphemous ones. So, if you had to pick which Madden rating have you seen so far that you thought has been the worst of the bunch? Uh, I think the one that we talked about for me was Jefferson is not being at least a 90. That was a big one to me. Uh, honestly, Aaron Donald getting 99. Like, I understand the the career that he's had, but he was not a 99 overall player last year. Um, uh, I think AJ Brown should be higher. Oh, uh, what else? I just saw that they dropped the running backs. I haven't looked at it. I'm surprised Christian McCaffrey won the best running back. I thought that he should have deserved that as well. So those are probably the few that I can just think of off the top of my head. I would probably go – if I had to pick number one, I don't think it's – I have this much beef with it just because I love me some D-Hop, but I just do not understand – him being higher than uh, AJ Brown, I especially if we're just basing it solely off of this past season, nah, it shouldn't have happened. Like great wide yeah, receiver, but nah, he shouldn't be higher than AJ Brown. I hundred percent agree. No respect to D Hop though. We're gonna talk about him shortly, but yeah, nah. But uh, we got a great show for you guys today. Obviously, we are going to talk the ESPN annual positional ratings. We uh, teased that a little bit last week, and now we have all of them. So that'll be a fun conversation. We're going to look at D-Hop signing with the Tennessee Titans and what to expect out of that situation. And then with regards to the NBA, we are going to talk Joel Embiid's recent comments about wanting to win the championship and whether or not he is, in fact, trolling Philly or if he's giving a sign of what's to come. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat the export.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. So let's kick things off with some news around the NFL, starting with the retirement of veteran defensive tackle Malik Jackson. He announced that after 10 years in the league where he played for Philly, played for the Browns some, won a Super Bowl with the uh, Broncos, played for the uh, Jags for a few years, he is calling it a career so congratulations to him. In addition to that, there were quite a few extensions worth talking about, starting with the Steelers, your new squad, uh, re-signing edge rusher Alex Highsmith to a four-year, $68 million extension. He's coming off of a career year when he had 14 and a half sacks, which led the team. So congratulations to him. Ahead of the franchise tag deadline this past Monday, Evan Ingram and the Jacksonville Jaguars agreed to a three-year, $41.25 million dollar deal with um 24 mil fully guaranteed low-key i'm kind of surprised that it didn't he didn't get a little bit more than that but still congrats to him he's making good money um and also, in other surprising news, Quentin Williams and the New York Jets were finally able to come to terms on a deal. Uh, Quentin Williams is going to be making 96 mil over the next four years with 66 million guaranteed. So now that we don't have to question Quentin Williams and what's going to come next with him and the Jets, do you think that having him in store is going to help take a weight off the Jets' shoulders and help them focus on having one of the league's best defenses, or do you think they're still a couple pieces away? 
I think it's gonna take the weight off the shoulders because now you have, like, you have your focal point. You have Quentin on the line. Even though he isn't the player that he's been in the past, you have C.J. Mosley, linebacker. You have Styles Dorn, who's one of the top corners this past season. So I think they'll they'll run out the form and be one of the better defenses and the all starts with with Quentin Williams in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's a big move. Um, Quentin Williams was one of those guys when they drafted him uh, third overall a few years back that everybody was just waiting on him to emerge. And it seems like over these past couple of seasons, he really was able to do that. And so that's a big, that's great for him. Um, I'm interested to see what comes next now. I mean, now everyone knows the Jets have all these expectations and everybody's just excited to see what they're going to do. Um, And I think that with this defense, they can do some damage Honestly, I think it just comes down to can the offense really live up to its hype and see what they're going to be able to do. But congratulations to him for making his money. Uh, Speaking of money, running back Joe Mixon, a guy who you and I both admitted that we weren't totally sure if he was going to end up being on the roster, restructured his deal with the Bengals, um, who originally had a $9.4 million non-guaranteed base salary, has restructured the deal to save the team some money and ensure he's going to be on the roster for at least – this season um he added his agent peter schaefer added joe's goal is to win a super bowl and play his career in cincinnati and that is the best way to accomplish these goals we're going to talk about contracts and running backs in a bit but do you think that joe mixon made the right move losing money to stay on a team like the Bengals? 100 percent. if his goal is to win in my in my opinion um but outside of the Chiefs, if I were to put money on one team in the AFC, I could see making it to the Super Bowl. It would, in my opinion, it would be Cincinnati. Like, I understand the Bills have been the Bills, but, like, I think, like, Joe Burrow took them to, took them to the Super Bowl in, what, his second year? Mm-hmm. And, and they didn't have a good offensive line, and they made improvements to their offensive line. And he's still that guy. So, I think it was a smart move. I think so, too, especially because we already talked about it. It is rough out here for running backs. It just is. And you go, like you mentioned, you're playing on a team like the Bengals who have a huge Super Bowl window. They have a lot of expectations of being great. And on the one hand, you risk getting potentially cut. One, you might not go end up with a team that does not have those same Super Bowl aspirations. You're probably going to make less money, and that's even if you get signed. Look at the free agents on the market right now. You get Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook is still available, um, Ezekiel Elliott. Guys like that who have had some pretty good NFL careers are just sitting there. And I think that sometimes the best bet is re-signing with the team that knows you and is willing to keep you around. So I think he made the right move as well. I can't exactly say the same for DeAndre Hopkins, but he did get a bag signing with the Tennessee Titans on the two-year $26 million deal. That could go up to 26 mil, I mean 32 mil with incentives. So let's just start off with the easiest question. What were your initial thoughts when you heard that it was a he was officially heading to Nashville? All right, first before I answer the question, I haven't said anything to you, but I have an announcement to make. Okay. I'm reading on the Steelers application. Oh. You know what I'm saying? 
okay. All right, so I'm I'm interested. Why? So I think I told you we had an off-air conversation and it was around like my in-laws and the family dynamics. Right. And that's the reason why. Like growing up when I started playing, like watching and playing football, I always wanted to have like a family that we all like the same team. Mm-hmm. And I didn't and I didn't have that. And like now being a part of their family, like everybody on this side is like Titans fans. So instead of like I can I can watch the schools from afar. And it's not like I don't like what the Titans do on the football field. So but for the family aspect and like the thing that I always want is like have a connection with like a father figure or a father through football and through sports. It just I just couldn't do it. I respect that. I mean I'm not mad at it at all because that means I don't got to beef with you twice a season. That's true. Now, we play in London and smoke, but as of right now, we're all good. Um, Well, again, don't blame you. So, as a redeemed Titans fan, you back in the fold, back rocking the navy blue, white, and red. What were your thoughts when this move was announced? I loved it. I thought it was a good move because of, um, like, I know everyone in this Everyone's been saying, like, I don't. We don't hope this is another Julio situation, yada, yada, yada. But I don't think that's the case. I mean, last season, in what, like, six or seven games, D-Hop put up, like, 700 yards. Um, And, like, going into this season with Tennessee, he's going to be paired with a Mike Verbal, who coached him for a period of time in Houston. And the offensive coordinator, Tim Kelly, was his offensive coordinator in Houston when D-Hop was going insane. And I think that D-Hop is still a serviceable wide receiver. And so I I think it's a good move. I think it's a move that um, I don't I wouldn't see them making any big splashes like as far as like being like if they make the playoffs. But I can see this being a move that can help them like potentially win a division and make and just make the playoffs. Period. I I like I like the move for D Hop because he's getting his money. He's earned it. I don't like this move enough to be like, yeah, this really moves the needle. And we'll get to it in a second. Like Tennessee obviously needed a wide receiver. Like, no disrespect to Traylon Burks, but going into the season and he's your number one and you look at the rest of the receiving core that honestly isn't much to write home about. You got Nick uh, Westbrook, you got Kyle Phillips. That receiver room leaves much to be desired. And as a Ravens fan, I've seen what a depleted receiving room can do to you, no matter how good everything else is. If your receivers aren't working, it's not working. So in that retrospect, it makes tons of sense for him to go there. But I kind of look at this situation like I looked at um, D-Hop potentially going to the Patriots. It fills an absolute need. It makes a ton of sense. Do I think it makes the Titans extremely better? No. I think that, it, like I said, it fills a need, but... I'll, it gets into one of the questions I was going to ask, but if we're still talking about, like, top offenses, the Jags still are the best offense, and it's not it's by a landslide. And then when you look at the Colts, 
Jonathan Taylor is great, but he's coming off of injury. Um, Michael Pittman has been cool, but you're still waiting on him to kind of blossom into a, a superstar. Honestly, we don't really know what we have in Houston. So that's why it's like, you could say it makes them the second best offense in the division, but I don't think it's enough to make deep inroads into the rest of the conference. Like, they're going to be competitive just because the Titans are competitive. But I don't think it really moves the needle at all. I mean, I think for me, it's not me necessarily thinking it really moves the needle. What I think is, is that I've even, I've been under, under the belief that the gap between the Titans and the Jags is just as a whole from a team, team dynamic, not offensive dynamic. I think that gap nearly isn't as big as a lot of people think. Because, like, last year, big part of the reason the Titans failed the way that they failed was, again, they had another injury-riddled season. Um, and that's big. And I think if they're able to stay healthy, they can make some noise. Just in just in the AFC South. Not saying the AFC as a whole, but just the AFC South. And I think, too, that their, their calling card it's going to be on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, for sure. Like, and I think if you're still, like, Derrick Henry doesn't have to be Superman Derrick Henry, but if he can get you a productive, efficient thousand yards, I think that offense can produce enough points from, like, play action and things of that nature. So we're with the pair with their defense that I think could be really good this next season. I think that's enough to at least win the AFC South. I don't. I can't say the AFC South. Like I said, I think it'll be competitive. I think when it's all said and done, they'll finish second in the division, unless Houston comes out and like shocks everybody. And same for the Colts. But just right now, I I like I said, I totally understand the logic behind the move, but I I just don't think it moves the needle because we've seen time and time again, D Hop has been a amazing terrific but he hasn't been enough for a team to make the playoffs and Derrick Henry is the man we know Derrick Henry is the man but I feel like if for one either of those guys go down I think that's not to say that it's curtains on the Titans season but I think they have they're in for a very tough year or a very tough slate of games so as of yeah. right now, like I said, like I don't love it, but I think that it was a necessary move. But you touched – I'm sorry, did you have something else you want to say before I move on? To yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think the only thing for me is this – and I know teams are, are, like, potentially to get better and things of that nature. But I think about this past season, like, the Jags – and the Titans were vying for the top AFC title crown in the last game of the season. And the, and the Titans were like, at the time, two games below 500. Right. And so, like, I know, like, obviously, I'm, especially with the offensive side of addition of Calvin Ridley and Trevor Lawrence getting some more reps in their offense and being on the Doug Peterson, like, I think he'll make a, a jump. I, I just think, like, I think it's going to be, like, neck and neck. Because, I mean, I think, in my opinion, the two the two bottom-tier teams are obviously going to be 
the Colts and the Texans unless like one of their rookie quarterbacks has like an all-time season. And I think like the Titans and the Jags, like they're going to be like really like maybe a game, maybe at most three games of a difference. I don't, I don't. I'll say this: barring any injuries from the Jags side, I think that a healthy Jags team is much better right now than a healthy Titans team because defensively yeah the Titans are better but offensively I feel like the Jags have enough to shut them down and because even if you double D-hop who are you afraid of to really go off on the outside maybe Traylon Burks but we haven't really seen that obviously you got to worry about Derrick Henry but I mean I would not say that Derrick Henry has lost a step, but it's clear that he's not as revered around the league as he's been over the past few years. And so I think that, so inversely, if I'm looking at the Jags offense, Christian Fulton is you guys' cornerback one. I love me some Christian Fulton, LSU boys. But Roger McCreary is fine. I, it, it'll just be interesting to me how this how the their secondary lines up with the Jags receivers. Because Calvin Ridley, he's going to be a threat. He's going to be coming out hungry. Sure, it's going to be some rust, but he's going to be coming out with a point to prove. Um, Christian Kirk is coming off of the best years of his career. They just brought back Evan Ingram, who's coming off one of the best years of his own career. Travis Etienne, you got to worry about. Trevor Lawrence is still a threat in the backfield a bit. Um, Zay, uh, Zay Jones is going to be coming back. I just, I think it's a lot to have to try to go blow for blow for. And I'm just not sure if the Titans can do that right now. I get that. But, yeah, so you touched on it, like, when you first gave your thoughts about if Tennessee is the place where wide receivers go to die. And because people try to use the excuse of, well, look what happened with Randy Moss when he went, Andre Johnson when he went, most recently Julio when he went. All of them were old. Much older than D-Hop. So, I don't think it's a fair comparison. Like like you mentioned, D-Hop didn't even play all of last season. I don't even think he played like nine or ten games. And yet, he still had over 700 yards. And so, I think, first off, I would take D-Hop at this point over any of the guys I just mentioned. 100%. And so, I don't think that's a fair comparison to make to say it's the place where receivers go to die. They just sign wash receivers. Yeah. And, too, the thing with D-Hop is, I mean, he obviously missed the sixth game due to the PED suspension. But the, he, I think he missed eight games total last season. Yeah, he, he only injury missed two. Yeah, he only missed two to the injury. Yeah. So, like, he missed six for the suspension, and he missed two because he was hurt. And he put up close to a thousand yards, and he missed eight games. Like, and the thing of it is, is like I saw, um, it was a video that I watched, and they were trying to, they were talking about the topic that we're talking about now, and they were talking about the case of Julio. Like, the thing with Julio was, is for his size, Julio was one of the freakiest athletes ever. Like, he was incredibly explosive, incredibly fast, incredibly agile. 
and as he got older, those things diminished, and he didn't look like the same receiver anymore. In the case of B-Hop, B-Hop has never been an explosive athlete. In fact, he's never been one of the faster wide receivers. He's been a dude where it's like, hey, just get, just put the ball in my ear, and I'm going to go get it. Yeah. And I, that's something that I think won't deplete. No, absolutely not. And like I said, like I get it. People kind of questioning D-Hop, and they're not sure if he's going to be the same guy. Like, not saying I think he's going to be a 1,400-yard receiver. Like, he could get them to 1,000 yards. If not for any other reason, who else do you trust on when you need a big play? The ball's going to D-Hop. So, I don't – that whole receiver's going to die, I don't think that's a fair assessment. But – if you remember a few months back, he recently he did an interview and he was asking he was asked what's on his wish list for his next team. And he mentioned stable management, a quarterback who loves the game, a great defense because defense wins championships. I would agree. I think that the Titans have a good defense. I don't think I'd say it's championship level, but it is good. I would say it's the best defense in the division. I don't know about Ryan Tannehill. It, I still am on the a belief that we're going to see some Will Levis this year, maybe even Malik Willis if he makes the final 53. And even though the Titans did just bring in a new GM, Mike Vrabel is pretty stationary. Like, nobody's expecting him to go anywhere. So I don't think he fully got any of the three, but at least I think he got a defense and a coach that is going to help him be on a competitive team. I think he got two of the three for sure. Like, I think the defense, um, I think he got the defense that he, or one of the types of defenses that he was asking for. I think he did get the stability, even though they just brought in a new GM. But, like, that, outside of that, the whole team has been the same for a handful of years. And the reality is, like, J-Rob needs to be fired. Like, yeah, for sure. So, so like everything else is stable. They brought in a new GM. This for right now, it seems to be like it's looking like he's doing a great job. I mean, he brought in Hop and that's his first big. Move. That's his first move. One of his first moves as a GM to bring in Hop, Which I mean, I know from the standpoint of on the field production, we haven't seen it come. Um, what it looks like it, but just from the standpoint of like, hey, you brought in a dude that's a, a high caliber receiver your first year. Like this this major. Now, I gotta ask, it's no point of crying over spilled milk, but from a Titans fan, I'm interested in your perspective. All of this has been interesting in getting Julio and now D Hop. Would you have rather just had J Rob pay AJ Brown? <laughs> Oh, 100%. Just to alleviate all of this crap, all of this extra stuff. 100%. Because, I mean, like, because if you would have paid AJ, like, you could have still, you know, found a way to maybe still get D-Hop, and you could have had both of them. Yeah, I, yeah, I was just wondering about that, because I get it, this is all nice and dandy, but at the end of the day, this all could have been alleviated had AJ got his money but yeah it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out I'm excited for it I mean it's been an interesting saga I wouldn't say it's been as like frustrating as um 
Damian Lillard situation with Portland, but it's definitely been one of those things that was like, I'm kind of sick of hearing about D-Hop doing this or where D-Hop yeah. might go. I just want to see where he's going to end up. Yeah. yeah, but all right, let's go ahead and move on to ESPN's annual positional rate rankings. For those of you who don't know, for the past four years, I believe, ESPN has interviewed executives, players, scouts, and coaches um, to rank the top 10 players at each position. And instead of going through, like, and nitpicking every single pick, because um, in a few weeks we're going to do our top five positional rankings, so it's no point in doing the same thing twice. We're just going to take a look at each list and give our thoughts on probably some of the biggest talking points and then just give our takes on probably some of the most blasphemous moves. So with everything in the NFL, we're going to start off with quarterbacks, and here's how the top ten list shakes out. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, one. Joe Burrow, two. Bills, uh, I'm sorry, Josh Allen, three. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, four. Justin Herbert, five. Uh, Jalen Hurts, 6. Lamar Jackson, 7. Trevor Lawrence, 8. Dak Prescott, 9. And Matthew Stafford, 10. I don't know how many times I got to stop saying that Dak Prescott is not a top 10 quarterback, but he's not a top 10 quarterback, and it's kind of wild to me that he actually made this list. Yeah, that is one. Yeah, this will be like... Dak is a top 10. And I think, because I'm looking at the list now, like, I personally don't know if I would have Justin Herbert over Jalen Hurts. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't have Aaron Rodgers four. I think four is a bit high. I didn't want to say, but I agree. Yeah, four four is high. Um... Yeah, I mean, the top three, I think, are kind of undisputed. Some people may feel the need to switch two and three. I don't think so. But, yeah, no, I don't think Dak needs to be up there. And because I am a benevolent co-host, like, if I had to take out Dak, which I obviously would, truthfully, I would probably go – I'll say this. I would take a healthy – I will take what Russ has done collectively over Dak Prescott. I understand why you don't put him in that list, but I would take yeah. Russ over Dak. A healthy Kyler Murray, I would take over Dak. Call me crazy. Yeah. Um, and then just based off honorable mentions, uh, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Tua Tagovailoa, and that creep out in Cleveland. Um. Honestly, I would put Tua over Dak. Based solely off of last year, give me Tua. When he was healthy. Oh, yeah. When he was healthy, I'm taking Tua over Dak any day. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's a no for me, dog, on that one. All right, let's go ahead and move on to running backs, which was pretty an interesting list. Uh, Nick Chubb got the first spot, followed by Christian McCaffrey, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Tony Pollard, and Austin Eckler. I touched on this when we were talking about the Titans, but Derrick Henry at five, I'm kind of surprised that he's five. I would have had him a bit higher. That's disrespectful. It is disrespectful. Like, no disrespect to Josh Jacobs. He's coming off a terrific year, led the league in rushing, but Derrick Henry's been doing that for years. How is he better? Yeah. I mean, yeah, because I would have had him at three, Saquon at four, and I would have probably put Josh Jacobs at five. Yeah, 
And I mean, the Nick Chubb at one, I'm really not mad at. Christian McCaffrey is the man, but Nick Chubb's been doing it at a consistent level for years now. So it's about time he finally gets his due and acknowledgement. Um, but I, another thing is, I love me some Tony Pollard. You know, Memphis Tiger forever. He shouldn't be higher than Austin Eckler. Yeah, 100%. Nah. Because Austin Eckler had an OD season last year. He's had crazy seasons for years. Like, that's why in fantasy football, he is perfect. Would I want him as my, like, go-to running back in real life? Maybe not. But in fantasy, that man will win you a league. So, yeah, no, I, I don't I don't agree with that one. All right, let's go ahead and move on to wide receivers. At one, we got my man Jay Jettas, followed by Devontae Adams, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Stephon Diggs, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, and CeeDee Lamb. I feel like I say this all the time, and this is no disrespect to D.K. because the potential is there, the tools are there. He's not a top 10 wide receiver. For sure. And honestly, like honorable mentions were Debo, Mike Evans, T. Higgins, Garrett Wilson, Jalen Waddle, and Devontae Smith. I would take Mike Evans over DK any day of the week. I would take Debo over DK. Debo as an overall player, for sure. Strictly as a wide receiver and he's not out the backfield doing trickery, I would go DK. But I see what you're saying. I get you, though. But, I mean, yeah, I just – I don't think DK is top 10. I think he's great and has the potential, but I don't I don't think he's top 10 yet. Um, any other blasphemous things for you? I'm kind of shocked they went Tyreek over Jamar. I will never complain about that, but that was an interesting yeah. one. I'm not that surprised, but um, I don't know if I would have C.D. Lamb at number 10. Do you think he should be higher or not in the top 10 at all? Not in the top 10. Really? Yeah. Who would you replace him with? Let me look at the honorable mention. Again. I think CD CD has more of a right to be there than DK. I I might argue that one. It might be why I don't see agree with it. It's because I don't like, in my opinion, in order for CD to be there, you have to take DK off. Yeah, and I would take DK off. I was, like I so said, I would put Mike Evans up there. I was gonna say, for me, it would either be you would have to either be Mike Evans or Debo. I'm also just a really big Debo fan, so I'm a little biased. Totally understandable. Uh, but yeah, no, I I think CD Lamb should be there. I mean, he's been the guy. He's shown that he can be the guy in Dallas. I I would keep him there. But, all right, let's go ahead and move on to tight ends, which probably was one of the more obvious uh, lists that there were. Um, at number one, it was Travis Kelsey. Uh, number two was George Kittle. Four, Dallas Goddard. Five, Darren Waller. Six, TJ Hawkinson. Seven, Kyle Pitts. Eight, Evan Ingram. Nine, Pat Fryermuth. And ten, Dawson Knox. There's a few I disagree with. Personally, I would put I would put Hawkinson at least at five. He should I would have him over Darren Waller, and I don't think Kyle Pitt should be seven. Especially yeah, after probably, last year. I probably would move Hawkinson to five. Um 
if it, anything, I would switch Kyle Pitts and Evan Ingram because yeah. Evan Ingram played last year. Yeah, Evan Ingram had a great year. Honestly, because Kyle Pitts had a terrible year this past year, and you could say it was scheme and Marcus Mariota. I'm sure that kind of played a role in it, but of these guys, if we're ranking solely these guys, I would have him at 10. I don't think he should be that high. But all right, let's go ahead and look at offensive line. Starting with offensive tackle, um, we got number one, not surprising, uh, Trent Williams, then followed by Laramie Tunsil, Tristan Wirfs, Lane Johnson, Jordan Mailata, Panay Suel, uh, Andrew Thomas, Rashawn Slater, Christian Derisaw, and Colton Miller. Not going to lie, as a Baltimore fan, maybe it's just me, but where's Ronnie Stanley? Like, I understand he's been hurt, but I would take him over Christian Derisaw and Colton Miller any day. Yeah. It's also a hard thing for me because, like, out of, I hate to say, out of all the positions in football, I never, I like, unless you, like, stand out, I don't really notice other linemen. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's hard for me to really speak on it. But the one thing I will say is I know that Trent Williams is the definite number one. Yeah, no doubt. Man is an ageless wonder. All right, here are the offensive guards. Cowboys, Zach Martin, Joe Thune, Quentin Nelson, Eldon Jenkins, Joe Benito, um, Joe Batoni, I'm sorry, Jason Kelsey, Chris Lindstrom, Creed Humphrey, Brandon Sheriff, and Frank Radnow. Sorry, that was guards and centers. This list, I don't really have beef with. Maybe switch Joe Thune and Quentin Nelson, but, and I, it's hard. Jason Kelsey could probably be in the top five, but other than that, I'm I'm pretty good with this list. Yeah, from what I know about the players on the list, I don't see any issue. I will say these, uh, Zach Martin, if you're trying to, you know, give up out of Dallas, I wouldn't mind. Yeah, funny you mentioned that because, yeah, reports came out today that he may potentially be holding out of training camp because he feels he is woefully underpaid and might not report to training camp. Just for reference, he, his average salary is 14 mil, and the highest paid is Chris Lindstrom from Atlanta, who's making 20.5. If I'm Dallas, it's not even a conversation. Pay that man. He's a six-time All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler, and he's a part of the 99 club and was just rated by everybody as the best guard in the league. You can't risk not having him. Give him his money. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if he want to mosey on down to Baltimore, I don't know how we going to pay you, but I'd love to have you. You know, we got a spot at left guard. But, you know, if you want to work for not much, come through. All right, now to, I feel, our both of our favorite side of the ball, defense. Starting with defensive tackle, and low-key, this one was kind of interesting. Starting at number one, Aaron Donald. Number two, Chris Jones. Three, Jeff Simmons. Then it was Quentin Nelson at four. Javon Hargrave at five. Dexter Lawrence at six. DeForest Buckner at seven. Deron Payne at eight. Cam Hayward at nine. And Jonathan Allen at ten. I'm not a Steelers fan, but I feel disrespected. How the hell is Cam Hayward only nine? Yeah, that is uh, that is crazy. There's no but way. Was, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say, no. Nah, I'm gonna let you go. Then I'm gonna say what I gotta say. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, there's no way. No disrespect to Javon Hargrave. I know the 49ers just gave you a bag. You just had a great year. 
You are not better than DeForest Buckner or Cam Hayward. I don't know if I put you over Jonathan Allen either. Dexter Lawrence, it depends on the day. I just, yeah, we could just, if y'all just want to go ahead and switch Cam and Javon Hargrave, I'd let the rest of the list ride. But Cam Hayward at nine is crazy after a ten and a half sack season. See, I can't let the rest of the list ride because I'm, I'm going to be honest. I can't have Aaron Donald as number one. That's fair. If we're basing it solely off last season, no. But, if, yeah. And the criteria for this is weird. I don't know if they're basing it off in general or last season, but based on last season alone, no, it's Chris Jones. Chris Jones should have been one. So, yeah. It is what it is. I mean, Aaron Rock. I mean, Aaron Donald is arguably the greatest defensive player of this generation. So it's like, I, I I understand giving him a little extra, little extra love. All right, let's go ahead and look at edge rushers. Um, starting off with uh, Nick Bosa, the reigning defensive player of the year, taking that number one spot. Next up, you have Miles Garrett, Michael Parsons, T.J. Watt, Hassan Reddick. Brian, Bur- I mean Max Crosby, Brian Burns, Matthew Judon, Von Miller, and Joey Bosa. Again, Baltimore fans, don't hate me, but I don't understand how T.J. Watt is not top three. I personally would take T.J. Watt over anybody in the top three. I understand he was hurt last year, but even still, he had a great season. So I find four to be real disrespectful, and I like. Well, I'm not a I'm not a Nick Bosa fan, but he is a dog. But I like Miles Garrett and I like Mike Par- Michael Parsons. But give me T.J. Watt over them any day. I feel like the NFL is just reading the Michael Parsons hype yes. and like to an extent over over hyped him up. I would definitely take T.J. Watt. Only the only reason I would think about taking Michael Parsons is because he's younger. Right. But I would definitely take T.J. over Mike. Yes, for sure. Slide me, TJ, any day of the week. Um, but the rest of the list, I'm not that surprised. I'm at, I'll tell the back. Everybody named Mama just loves him, some Max Crosby, and he's a very good player. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I'm just surprised that Hassan Reddick got the nod over him because I agree, but I'm surprised more people actually agree with that. I mean, that's what happens when you play on a team that outside of the Chiefs was – the best team in the NFL the whole year. You're going to get some extra love that you don't normally get. Hey, it worked. I mean, obviously he wasn't going to get it in uh, when he was in, what, Arizona and then Carolina for a year. So it's good to see him get his due. All right, now to my favorite position, inside linebacker. And this list sucks. I'm just going to tell you. Uh, number one, Fred Warner. Uh, Roquan Smith is two, Tremaine Edmonds three, Matt Milano four, Devin White five, Demario Davis six, Shaquille Leonard seven, Nick Bolton eight, CJ Mosley nine, Dre Greenlaw ten. I have a hard time respecting any list ranking middle linebackers that does not include Bobby Wagner or Levante David. And to not have either of them is insane. Because Bobby balled out last year. Yeah, but that's what happened when you play on a bad team. Call it what you want, but it's still Bobby Wagner. I, yeah, notice Matt Milano, first off, he shouldn't be above Devin White. Let's just go ahead and get that out the way. Demario Davis, 
Honestly, if I would probably have Demario four, Dev five, and then I would take off Matt Milano and Dre Greenlaw and replace them with Levante David and Bobby Wagner, because you could really argue that Bobby Wag, I mean that Levante David had a better season than Devin White did. Yeah. So yeah, I'm calling big cap on that one. Um, all right, let's move on to cornerback, another position where the youngins are getting some love over the vets. I say, Why do I say that? Well, because number one, got Pat Sertan, Sauce Gardner, Jalen Ramsey, Jair Alexander, Darius Slay, Marlon Humphrey, Marshawn Lattimore, Trayvon Diggs, Denzel Ward, and A.J. Terrell. Do you think it was right to have Sauce over Jalen Ramsey? For this past season, yes. For their body of work, absolutely not. Right. That's where I'm hung up on. And also, I don't think Trayvon Diggs should be above Denzel Ward. Everybody knows I'm not a Browns fan, but Denzel Ward is a very, very good corner. And Trayvon Diggs had a good year, but Denzel has had a very good career. So I would swap those two. And it's nice to see Marlon Humphrey actually getting some acknowledgement because he's earned it. But, yeah. Do you agree with uh, Pastor Tan at one? Uh, sure, I'm fine with it. I would. It's, for me, it could be a toss-up in my opinion. For me, it's like, what are we basing it on? Like, if we're basing it on the last couple of seasons, I'll let it ride with Sartan. If we're, like, stamping, here is the best player at this position, career by career, then you have to go Jalen Ramsey. Oh, yeah. And so it's like, what is, I just don't understand the criteria. But if we're basing off the last couple of seasons, Pastor Tan's been very good, so that's fair. But I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I still don't know if I'd put Ramsey below Sauce, even with the weird criteria. But all right, last but certainly not least, let's talk safeties. Um, number one, Minka Fitzpatrick, followed by Derwin James, Justin Simmons, Buda Baker, Javon Holland, Jesse Bates, Kevin Bayard, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, Tolanoa Hulaf uh I can't even talk. Tolanoa Hafunga and Antoine Winfield Jr. Kevin Bayard should be higher. I was just gonna say this the first thing. Yeah, that's no, no disrespect to Jesse Bates, but no. Um Buddha's hard. I, I guess Buddha's cool at three. I don't think Hafunga should be in the top ten because it's one of those things like you had a great season, but overall body of work. Because Condre Diggs got screwed. He's a top ten safety in the league. And he never gets his credit. But Marcus Williams, I think, should be in there too. I would... I don't know if I take out Jesse Bates, but he wouldn't be at six. He has to slide down. Yeah, he's got to slide down. Kevin, because Kevin Byard got to come up. Javon Holland would slide down a little bit. Tufunga would come out. I mean, Hufunga would come out. I like Antoine Winfield, but he might have to come out too. Actually, he would have to come out because I said Quandre Diggs and Marcus Williams would have to come in. So I would take out Hufunga and Antoine Winfield and switch Diggs and Williams. That's how I look at it. Any other changes you think should be made? Or are you good with the rest of it? I'm good with the rest. But yeah, there's that. And 
it's always fun to talk about that and see the leagues thinking because like i said in a few weeks we will have our own top five positional rankings so be on the lookout for that but let's go ahead and move on to the discussion around running backs for the last few weeks there's been a lot of discourse about running backs and their value and is it the worst position to pay in the nfl well, that argument continued to get strengthened this past Monday when both Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs did not end up getting contract extensions this past Monday, passing the franchise tag deadline. Now, both have expressed that they will not be with their teams at the start of training camp this upcoming week. So let's start there. With those two players specifically, how long do you think their holdouts are going to last? I think Saquon's is going to last longer than Josh Jacobs. Because in my opinion, what Saquon means to the Giants is a lot more than what Jacobs means to the Raiders. Like, in my, and I think you would agree with this as well, if the Giants didn't have Saquon, they would be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Facts. In the case of the Raiders, like, Josh, like, bro, you had a, you had one, you had a great contract year, and like, you didn't really impact them, like, making it to the playoffs. You did. It's kind of like you know how they used to talk about Devin Booker putting up great numbers on the losing team. Right. That's what I kind of equate that to. So I would, I think. Uh, I think Saquon's a beat longer just because he ha- like in my opinion he has more of an arguing point than Josh Jacobs does because it's like hey bro if it wasn't for me I wouldn't have made it to the playoffs right for sure I I totally agree with that um it, it's an interesting it's an interesting conversation when you look at running backs right because so this all happens and then multiple running backs took to Twitter. Here are some of their reactions. Christian McCaffrey said, this is criminal. Three of the best players in the entire league, regardless of position, also including Tony Pollard, who signed his franchise tag but did not get an extension. I don't think anybody was that surprised by that. Uh, Najee Harris said, I agree with my running back brothers around the NFL. History will show you that you need running backs to win. We set the tone every game and through run through walls for our teams and lead them in many ways. This notion that we deserve less is a joke. King Henry took to Twitter and said, at this point, just take the running back position out of the game then. The ones that want to be great and work as hard as they can to give their all to an organization just seems like they don't even matter. I'm with every running back that's fighting to get what they deserve. However, everybody seems to be in support of running backs on social media from different leagues to fans to coaches, analysis, analysts, all that good stuff. However... It's one thing to say something on social media. It's a whole nother thing to actually do something about it. So with all this craziness going on, how do you think current running backs are going to respond? Do you think we're going to see maybe them try to get together, create a union, maybe some guys hold out in solidarity? What do you think really happens next beyond Twitter fingers? If anything. I think it's going to be. My bad. Oh, no, that was it. No, I was going to say, I think it's going to be, like, some type. I wouldn't necessarily say, like, union, but I definitely think it's going to be a, like, collaborative effort to come at the teams in the NFL because, 
Like, I think me and you have talked about it when we had other conversations. No teams get the brunt of the stick like running backs. Like, they take the most hits. They, they like, they get, they receive a lot of punishment through the course of a season, and then they get paid pennies. Whereas you can get guys like QBs who, yes, I understand the importance of the quarterback position, but from the standpoint of just the physical nature of the game, and I know quarterbacks get teed off on too, but they don't take nearly as many hits as running backs do, but they get paid bukus of money. And so that it's interesting because I don't really think much is going to happen. I, if anything, I'm more interested to see guys who have contracts coming up. What are they going to do? Like Jonathan Taylor with the Colts has a contract coming up very soon. Uh, J.K. Dobbins in my own backyard and Baltimore has another contract coming up soon. And so for guys of repute, how are you dealing with this contract narrative? How are you handling this? What's your approach? Because like we mentioned earlier, there are some great running backs on the market right now. And I'm sure if they were willing to take less money for their services, they would have been signed. However, they're safe, especially because these are guys who've gotten second contracts. So I'm sure it comes down to they want to be paid to a certain standard. And so maybe those guys hold out till they get what they want. But we've seen firsthand what happens when running backs don't take money offered to them and they try that whole now thing, it does not work case of point Le'Veon Bell. So I'm interested to see how it all shakes out. Obviously the NFL isn't going to stop having running backs, but I think it comes with this. I feel like you and I talked about this. I know I talked about it with other people, but I think it comes down to one of those things of where people say running backs come a dime a dozen. You can have your superstar guys like a Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb, Christian McCaffrey, guys like that. But for every guy like that, you can get 10, trying to think of an example. You can get 10 Alexander Madisons, who are backup guys who can give you yards when you need them. And you don't have to pay them tens of million dollars to do that. And so what I'll be interested in is if these guys who are so frustrated with their contracts, like, a Josh Jacobs, for example, just last year, they drafted uh, a running back out of Alabama. What are they, what is he going to do if that running back balls out? What if it's another situation like with the Steelers and James Conner? Well, they look and like, well, dang, we actually don't even need you. We're going to ride it out with this young guy on his rookie contract. So I think it was going to show how replaceable quote unquote running backs are. But I think it's also going to show, like, when you have a great one, like with the Giants, if they don't have Saquon, they don't make the playoffs. I'll say that right now. If he genuinely holds out, I don't think they make it. So I think it'll be interesting to see the dynamic of how much this specific player has on your team. Because on the outside looking in as a fan, of course you say, yeah, you pay these guys. You pay you pay Saquon. You pay Josh Jacobs. You pay Derrick Henry. It makes sense. But I'll pose a question to you. Derrick Henry has a contract coming up. And let's say it's between him and... I'm trying to think of another player who has a contract coming up. Whatever. Just author, let's say that Kevin Bayard has a contract coming up. 
Who do you pay? I think that's tough. Yeah. It's a tough conversation. But who yeah. do you pay? If you're front office, who do you prioritize? Knowing the front office, they probably probably well, I don't I hate to say it, you probably have to you probably they probably will pay Kevin Byard. Right. And so this is gonna sound dark and it sucks, but look at the players that the Giants just brought in. Now, should they have paid Daniel Jones before Saquon Barkley? Absolutely not. But for example, an example, Dexter Lawrence, your star defensive lineman, had to get paid. Saquon had to get paid. Between the two, Dexter Lawrence is the one that got paid. And so I'm not agreeing with the front office, but I understand if it comes between my star running back and my star something else, more times than not, I'm going to go with that other player because, again, you can find somebody who can run, who can get you some significant rushing yards or do what most teams are doing and just have a committee. And so it sucks for the running backs, but it's like even – this is going to sound bad. Even the irreplaceable guys have kind of become replaceable, if that makes sense. Because teams have seen that they can live without having a superstar running back. So, it'll be interesting. So, my last question on the topic is, in your opinion, what do you think has ruined the running back market? Why do you think it's so hard for running backs to get paid? I think it's because teams understood and realized that you can find productive running backs in any position, in any part of the draft. Like, yes... Like you say, you have the superstar guys like the Christian McCaffrey's, the Nick Tubbs, and the Dead Henry's. But then you look up and you see, um, you look up and you see the Seattle Seahawks draft the Kenneth Walker. Right. And I forgot what round he was drafted in, but I know it wasn't a high. He was a second round pick. Um, you you could go with Elijah Mitchell, who the 49ers yeah. draft, I think, fifth, sixth round. And he ended up being a leading rusher a couple years back. Isaiah Pacheco with the Chiefs, seventh round pick. Yeah, so I think that's what it is. It's like, I mean, it's 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 funny because it's just like the NFL has gone in reverse. Because like several years ago, running running backs were the premier position. You had guys like LT, um, Steven Jackson. Um, shoot, AP, all of these great running backs. And then look at it from another standpoint on the defensive side of the football. You had all these great linebackers that were getting paid. Uh, and now you look up and you see that uh, these guys aren't getting value from both si- on both sides of the ball because – Running backs aren't getting value because you can find a run. You can find a running back a dime does in the in the draft. Linebackers aren't getting value because you can find a linebacker in later rounds of the draft. I think that's the reason why these positions aren't getting this value because you can find good talent all over the draft. You just have to do the you just have to do the work to find it. Yeah, I think it's a mix of that, and then you also look at other running backs who got paid that didn't pan out 
like Le'Veon Bell, even though he did he got what four year fifty two from the Jets. Um Todd Gurley has signed that four year fifty seven point five mil extension. Ezekiel Elliott signed six year ninety with the Cowboys and even David Johnson was signed three year thirty nine um with the Cardinals a few years back. I think in seeing that and especially because like everybody knows, running backs go through hell every week. Their bodies they can't stay play for forty years like quarterbacks can, or at least you're, unless you're Frank Gore. But like their bodies just cannot take that type of punishment. No human body really can for that long. And so I, I hate to say it, but I understand the logic of, hey, well, we just gonna go ahead and draft a running back, wear his ass out for the next five years or however long his contract is, and then move on and do it again. I understand it because you not every running back can even hold up that long. And, I mean, even with Saquon, injuries have bothered him throughout his career. So it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out. And, obviously, I'm on the side of running backs. I think they deserve to get paid. But I understand where – I understand the dilemma of front offices because I ain't going to lie to you. If Eric DaCosta, Baltimore's GM – who would never ask me anything in life, came up to me and said, hey, Raven, we got to make a decision. Should we bring back J.K. Dobbins or Patrick Queen? I'm taking Patrick Queen 10 times out of 10. It's not even a conversation. That's just me. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our game of believable or buffoonery. We talked about the top 10 wide receivers in the league right now. Well, in a recent interview, D.K. Metcalf did an interview where he was asked who he thought his top five receivers of all time are. To which he said, Antonio Brown one, Randy Moss two, Terrell Owens three, Jerry Rice four, and Julio Jones five. So, believable or buffoonery, taking personal issues out of it, Antonio Brown should be considered a top five wideout of all time. Oh, 100%. I mean, he was for close to a decade. He was one of the he was the best wide receiver in the NFL. Like, I don't have any issues with DKs, at least outside of the order that he put on you. I, I, I won't fault nobody who has him in their top five. He's just not in mine. I think it's a fine choice. I mean, he's still. Let's not get twisted. A.B. was the man. He caused me a lot of freaking grief. So I would just sound like a hater if I act like he wasn't one of the greatest. But he's not in my top five, but I can't knock nobody who has him in theirs. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Dallas Cowboys. We talked about Dak not being a top 10 quarterback. Well, the number 10 resonates with him as well. After throwing 25 picks over the past two seasons, by golly, Dak Prescott said this season was going to be different and said, I won't have 10 interceptions this year. Is that believable or buffoonery? I'm going to say buffoonery because I believe it when I see it. Uh, yeah, I don't believe it. And that's not a knock against him. It's just incredibly hard not to throw double-digit interceptions, especially with the added game. I So he's going to throw 10. Maybe I don't think it's going to be like as bad as it's been in the past, but I, I think it's kind of inevitable. Even the best quarterbacks throw double-digit picks. It, it just happens. All right, speaking of quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins. Um, recently spoke out about a ranking that Justin Jefferson did where he listed the top five quarterbacks in the league. He had Joe Burrow, unsurprisingly, Kyle, um, what's it called? Joe, Josh Allen, sorry, 
uh, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and I believe Jalen Hurts off the top of my head. Which means he did not include Kirk Cousins, his own current quarterback, in that list. Honestly, ain't nothing wrong with being honest. Kirk Cousins uh, reacted to it and said that he doesn't see much in he doesn't hurt uh, it doesn't hurt his feelings much. Saying people have to be honest and share what they think, and I'm not gonna tell somebody what they need to think. Hopefully, in 2024, I'll be on his list. We'll see what we can do this year. So, believable or buffoonery, Kirk Cousins will play his way into a top five spot this season. No. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think he'll. I think he could be top ten. I mean, you could make an argument for him being top ten right now, but top five, nah. Yeah, it's too many good quarterbacks for him to like. Yeah, make that list. Exactly. Like that's assuming Patrick Mahomes has to fall off a cliff. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Jalen Hurts. For some people, Aaron Rodgers, which kind of can happen. Uh, Justin Herbert, Lamar Jackson. It's it's a lot of it's a lot of names. I'm yeah, call them buffoonery on that one. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our last question before we move on to the NBA, and it revolves around arguably the greatest head coach of all time, Bill Belichick. Where there reportedly are rumors that he is on the hot seat heading into this season. Uh, the team's lack of success since the departure of Tom Brady in 2020, who went on to win a Super Bowl with the Bucks, has been a source of disappointment for Patriots owner Robert Kraft. Reportedly, Bill Belichick is on the hot seat, and he's been there on some level at least since 2019. Reportedly, uh, the rumors that the they don't win a playoff game this year, Bill Belichick will be replaced by former Patriots great and current coach Gerard Mayo. So, believable or buffoonery, Bill Belichick will be fired if the Patriots have another subpar season. Believable. I'm going to say buffoonery because I don't think I think they're going to give him the grace of not actually being fired. I think they're going to give him the chance to quote unquote resign or step away. But I don't I don't think they got the balls to outright fire him. I don't think that's going to happen. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to the NBA. First off, let us congratulate the Summer League champions, the Cleveland Cavaliers, as well as the Summer League MVP uh, rookie for the Houston Rockets, Cam Whitmore, who averaged 20.4 points per game, 5.6 boards, 3.0 steals, and shot a true shooting percentage of 54.8%. I think it'd be a lie to say that either of us, like, really – you know, hold stock in the summer league. But for a player like Cam Whitmore, do you think this helps his confidence going into the actual NBA season, or do you think he's just going to, like, throw the trophy away, for so to speak? I think it can help him from a confidence standpoint because this is his introduction into the NBA and he had some success. Do I think it's going to lend him becoming, like, one of Houston's better players? I don't think so, but I if he if I if you were to look up and say he had like average like ten or twelve, I wouldn't be surprised by it. Yeah, I think he could have a good year as well. I mean, I was surprised that he fell all the way to twenty. I think that the Rockets overall had a pretty good draft. I'm interested to see how they are able to work these new guys into the lineup. Um, so I like 
I like him going there, and I think that, you know, I think it does provide some, at least some confidence, or at least some, it could give him something to talk smack with to rookies and other young players to be like, hey, out of all of us, I was the best one. And then who knows? It won't really matter if one of them, like, goes on to win rookie of the year. But for the time being, it's a fun talking point. But, all right, let's go ahead and look at some roster moves around the NBA, starting with a free agent, Bobo, signing a one-year deal with the Phoenix Suns. He had the best season of his NBA career, averaging 9.1 points, 5.8 boards, and 1.1 blocks for the Orlando Magic this past season. Um, in addition to that, the Suns are trading guard campaign in a future second-round pick to the Spurs for a future second-round pick. So how do you like this move of Bobo heading to the Suns? It's okay. I mean, it's not a. I think it'll be good because I think he'll he'll, he'll be forced to get more playing time because they don't really have that many bigs. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think it's one of those things that once the playoffs get here and the rotation cracks down, he won't really touch the court if they if they make the playoffs. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it never hurts to have a body and have some you know have some length, but. I'm not really tripping off that. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but apparently the Suns are trying to run Bradley Beal at point. Did you see that? I saw something about it. I was not surprised. Yeah, I wasn't surprised either because, I mean, obviously Devin Booker's your shooting guard, and you lost Chris Paul, so you have a pole at point guard, and y'all ain't got no money to really bring nobody else in, so... That'll be an interesting tra- transition. I mean, whatever makes my boy Bradley Beal look good, that's all I care about. Uh, but speaking of point guards, James Harden, uh, who was one of the hottest names coming into free agency, it seems like his free agent market has cooled down, which may not be that big of a deal to him because reportedly he wants to go to the Clippers to reunite with former teammate and friend Russell Westbrook. Now, it seems like he may report to camp if he has no other choice in Philly, but let's go ahead and talk about the possibility of um, Harden going to the Clippers. First off, should the Clippers do it? Mm, I mean, so in my opinion, no. Because adding James Harden, the question for me is what are you going to give up to bring him in? Right. Because if, if, like, if you're going to give up Paul George to bring in James Harden, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, and it's like if you add James Harden to Kawhi and Paul George and Russ, I don't know how that's gonna work. So I just it's one of, to me it's one of the things where the Clippers either should stay with what they have currently or just blow it all up. There's no in between. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I don't think it makes that much sense to do. And I'm gonna say it from a different perspective, like. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, what is almost their biggest commonality, in your opinion? They both get hurt. Exactly. And unfortunately, they seem to get hurt at the most inopportune times. James Harden has struggled with injuries himself, and we all know once the lights are on bright and the playoffs start, he is a shell of who he is in the regular season. And if you're the Clippers, why do you want to add another unreliable body to your lineup? That just makes no sense to me. So, I wouldn't do it. But let's say that they did bring him in and were able to keep their guys and PG, Kawhi, and Russ to do it. Do you think that this widens their championship window? Because I don't. No. 
Yeah, I don't think it makes them any better than they were before. So yeah. And then last but not least, like I said, James Harden reportedly, the Clippers are the only team he wants to go to. We're kind of hearing the same things with Portland and Dame and Miami. But if not L.A., where could you see him ending up? Because honestly, I don't really see him going nowhere else besides staying in Philly. Yeah, me too. Because I just, I don't think it's, like, any contending team, I don't think really would want James Harden because they know when it's time for the playoffs, he disappears. So it's, he'll have to go to a team that's not good. Like, a, and, like, my first thought would be Houston, but he would, he doesn't make sense in Houston because he made Doku. He's trying to get them boys right. And James Harden is the type of guy that's won in locker room. So, yeah, he got to stay in Houston. I mean, he got to stay in Philly. And I don't know if you saw it, but Emma Duca, like, in an interview, because he got asked about it, he pretty much shut down James Harden coming to Houston. So, yeah. I don't know what he going to do. But uh, speaking of Philly, Joel Embiid, he hasn't done it in the last few years, but this man used to be a troll on Twitter. And he reclaimed that nickname uh, recently when in an interview he was asked about his future with the Sixers, to which he said, I just want to win a championship, whether it's in Philly or anywhere else. Obviously, this puts 76ers fans in a tizzy, to which they tweeted at him one fan saying, I'd like to win a championship in Philly or somewhere else. The somewhere else was unnecessary, to be honest. Joel B responded by saying, buddy, check my middle name, which on Twitter, it is Troll. However, do you think he was just trolling, or do you think this is a sign that he is looking to move on soon? No, uh, I think this is hundred percent a sign. Like I think he, I think he does genuinely loves Philly, but I think it's one of those things to where it's like he's tired of getting so close but not so far, and he probably feels like if he could go to another team, he could actually, you know, get if, at least get one ring. Yeah, I think it's a sign as well. And more so anything, I think it's like dead a threat to the front office. Like, hey, either I'm winning a ring or I'm gone. And so I think that's kind of putting more pressure on them to make an aggressive move to help him get towards that or run the risk of losing him. So, yeah, I don't think he was just trolling. I think he's very, very serious. But all right, let's go ahead and play our game of Believable or Buffoonery before we get on out of here. Uh, so for those of you who remember, the Mike Malone, the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, made some interesting comments about the Lakers like during their playoff run and admitted how he was sick of talking about them because they were at home, they weren't. The Nuggets weren't. And then at their championship parade, he mentioned that he was the Lakers' daddy. Darvin Ham, the head coach of the Lakers, took some exception to that and said, that's what they call him now, the Lakers daddy. He added, this shit ain't over. Then former Nuggets Bruce Brown talked about the playoff run that the Nuggets had and added more fuel to the fire, said, I say our toughest series was Minnesota. Suns were blowouts each game. With the Lakers, we never felt like we were going to lose any game. Even when they went on a little run, it never felt like we were going to lose. So... A lot of smack talk has been said from both sides. 
So, believable or buffoonery, the Lakers versus Nuggets are the most compelling rivalry in the NBA heading into next season. No. I mean, to me, it would... I don't... It's hard, because I don't even really consider... Like, it's not rivalries anymore in the NBA, in my opinion. You have, like, little side mission spats. And they kind of feels about like the Grizzlies and the Warriors. Like, they aren't a rivalry. They kind of have beef, but I don't consider them a rivalry. It's not like the old days where it's the Lakers and the Celtics, uh, the Heat and the Knicks. Like, okay, it's fine. And to me, it's also like, in my opinion, it's not a rivalry because I think the Nuggets are the better team. In order for it to be a rivalry, both teams have to win, and I don't think the Lakers are going to beat the Nuggets. Yeah, we're in agreement. Um, I don't even think it's a rivalry. And then just even in, like, people who got beef, like we talked about this off air. I'm more interested to see whatever happens between the Wizards and the Warriors solely for Draymond and Jordan Poole than the Lakers and Nuggets because, like you said, I don't even think it's that competitive. And I'm really not even that interested in Draymond and Jordan Poole, but that's more enticing to me than whatever the Lakers and Nuggets got going on. So, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that as well. But speaking of the Warriors, um, Kendrick Perkins recently talked about the team, and even with their addition of future Hall of Famer Chris Paul, he admitted he doesn't really have that much hope for them this upcoming season. He said, I give them a 1% chance, and it's not because of the addition of Chris Paul. There's four teams in the West that I have ahead of them, the Nuggets, Lakers, Sacramento Kings, and the Phoenix Suns. That's why I give them a number, a 1% chance of making the NBA Finals. So, believable or buffoonery, the Warriors are the fifth best team in the West. championship 
but I don't think I think they're better than the fifth best. I mean, I, I would take them over the Kings still because especially once you get to the playoffs, I mean, playoff experience matters. And then Lakers, you don't know what Lakers you're going to get on a given day. So, I, I, I said this. I'm more confident in them being a top four seed than I am than winning another championship. I'll, I'll say that. But, all right, a few more things before we get out of here. Sean Marion, one of the more under-the-radar NBA players of the 2000s. However, he always seemed to make money. He always had a job, was always on a team, and always made at least a few pivotal plays a game. In a recent uh, interview with the Las Vegas Review-Journal, Sean Marion looked back at his career and said, I honestly, I can honestly say I changed the game. I was a big part of changing the game. What we're watching right now, small ball, positionless baseball. I'm six foot seven, 230 pounds. You got me guarding seven footers. That wasn't an easy adjustment, but I did it. We did it. It is what it is now. So believable or buffoonery, Sean Marion is one of the game's biggest game changers. I would say yes, because I think the Phoenix Suns, the Phoenix Suns team, like they weren't as big and integral as Golden State, but they were one of the teams that kind of laid the blueprint a little bit earlier for what the NBA is right now. Yeah, that's fair. Because what I want to say, Amari Stoudemire, how how tall was Amari Stoudemire? Six. He was six eleven. Yeah, that's what I thought. I figured he was like the tallest person in that lineup, if I'm not mistaken, at least in the starting lineup. And then, yeah, Sean Marion did have to do a little bit of everything. So, I, I think he has a point. I don't think anybody would be like, oh, yeah, it was Sean Marion who changed the game. But he has a point. So, I, I'd say it's like halfway believable. All right. I mean, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, it wasn't Sean Marion. It was more so Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Because, I mean, he was the culture style who was willing to take the chance to be like, actually, let's go ahead and switch this up put small guys on the court. So, yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Speaking of one of the games, I won't call him necessarily a game changer, but he's always a topic, and that is Kevin Durant, who in a recent interview, well, I'm not interview, in a recent Twitter spat with the fan, got into it about the importance of offense or defense in the NBA. The fan said, there's a saying in team sports that offense puts butts in seats, but defense wins you championships. Kevin Durant responded by offense wins you championships brother uh uh, Kendrick Perkins took exception to this and said KD got cooked by a Twitter dude we all know that defense wins championships so believable or buffoonery in today's NBA offense does in fact win you titles Uh, I think that's hard to really adequately like say one or the other because I mean if you look at this past NBA champion the Nuggets I don't know where they ranked defensively I know they weren't bad a horrible defensive team but I know they were a great offensive team you look at the Warriors they were really good at both you look at the Bucks when they won they were really good at both honestly in my opinion in order to be a a championship team, you have to be really good at both. So you need both. It's not one or the other. Yeah, it is all about balance. But I'll say this. If you ain't scoring a lot of the heat in these past finals, you have no chance. Yeah. yeah. No chance. But you got to be able to do both. 
Because, I mean, yeah, they weren't able to score, but their defense was better. Games would have been more competitive. All right, last question. Speaking of the Miami Heat, my main man, Jimmy Butler, he is still confident that he is going to bring another title to Miami, saying, I believe that with all my heart that we – I will win a championship for the Heat because I don't plan on playing for another team. The next time I'm talking to y'all here, I'll be a one-time NBA champion. I love the confidence. Everybody knows Jimmy Butler is one of my favorite players in the league, but I'll say this. With the current construction of their roster, I think it's buffoonery. I don't see it happening. Yeah, and it's, to me, it's not even from the East standpoint. It's more so the teams in the West. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just like, just in general, I don't see them being able to do it with this roster. They'll be competitive, yeah. and I don't doubt that they could make it back to the finals. I just don't see them beating nobody blow for blow in the West. Yeah. So, yeah. Before we on that. But, all right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please sure check out TheXReport.net. I repeat TheXReport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast and our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Ethan, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, how many more weeks do we got to, like, football? Um, I think I saw... Either today or yesterday, that it's like fifty more days to the season opener. Okay. Think, so yeah. And I think seven more Sundays. I believe. Okay. I so we almost there. I'm ready for that. Me too. Um, everybody knows football season is my favorite season of the year. No matter how Baltimore does, even though obviously I'd prefer for them to be good, but who knows? Very excited. Great things coming. Again, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you all next time.